Hey, Nick. Hey, Teddy. Do you remember Hell Houses? Oh, God. I forgot about that. Welcome to Oh God, I Forgot About That, the podcast that explores artifacts from turn-of-the-century Christian culture. So did you actually forget Hell Houses? You know, it's kind of funny. I don't know that I forgot about them so much as, like, didn't really have a framework for this specific iteration of the phenomenon. Okay, so what framework do you have? I am assuming that what you're suggesting is that your church did something weird in replace of Halloween, but maybe it wasn't a hell house. Yeah, exactly. Like, so when when thinking about hell house and and just you know, doing cursory Googling, so I didn't like find out too many st- too much stuff before this. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it just seemed like it was a like scary replacement for uh, a haunted house by the church. My yep. church kind of favored the. Well, even the scary thing is the wrong approach. Like even being scared is the wrong approach. So oh, we did things like light the night occasionally. Um, we usually did something that they called a harvest party. Mm, yeah, like um, a harvest festival. Yeah, we yeah. decorated the church with like corn and gourds and, you know, basic like generic fall stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we had like a bunch of games and candy. Um, Mm. and there was usually some sort of like performance or like entertainment thing going on. And of course, a sermon. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's I think that is actually far more the norm in that churches create some sort of fall activity night that is supposed to be a replacement for Halloween and stands is meant to like be in contrast to Halloween in the way that it's usually like lighter and sweeter and all, you know, not the darkness of Halloween and all of that. And for my own experience, that was much more what I grew up with as well. But there were these two, um, it was one or two years where my um, rural Pentecostal church did put on a hell house. But all of the other years were like the harvest festivals, the light, the night. Sometimes we did a hayride. And those were actually some really sweet experiences. Like I think back on those and like have pretty fond feelings. But yeah, I, mean, I think yeah. the generic like we need to replace something horror centered with something like fall centered is not a bad idea in general. Like I know people don't know. Not everybody likes to be scared. Not everybody likes, you know, spooky shit, which like I don't fully understand that anymore. I did. But, you know, I I love spooky shit now. Yeah. So. But but I like having an alternative. Sure. Why not? Why not? But it totally. Yeah. Yeah. And for anxious kids, it's great. You know, so I mean, I I think it's a great opportunity for kids. Hell House, though, was definitely not at all trying to be light (laughs) and not at all trying (laughs) to be fun. So what do you know about Hell House? I know. What did you know prior to this episode? Maybe is a better way of framing it. That's a good way to put it. Um, I basically understood them as a uh, church's attempt to depict the scariest thing they could think of, which was hell. So just some sort of like basic. This is a haunted house experience that is centered on like scaring you straight. OK, yeah, you're absolutely right. I think what's interesting is that the majority of a hell house attraction does actually not take place in hell. It okay. takes place in our actual culture, horrible situations in like the real world. Um, it has a hell scene, but the majority of it is actually like scaring through reality or what Christians perceive to be reality. That's so, interesting. Not yeah. something I would have like pegged. <laughs> on that like i would have just oh you know this is like the first like very dante-esque kind of thing like this is the first circle of hell and this is what you know liars go to hell here and yeah yeah no i think i thought that too as a kid when our church put it on i thought it was going to be more like the scary scenes of a christmas carol you know like where you go (laughs) but it's not like the majority of it is like things you they believe non-believers are encountering on a daily basis in the real world like Mm. so okay so hell houses are haunted attractions 
typically run by evangelical Protestant churches. Catholics have not been on board. It started They've with got enough. They've got it's enough not to enough. stand on its own. So true. So <laughs> true. I like flirted for a second with like the, oh, good for the Catholics. And then I was like, you know what, Teddy? Like, just like they have their own things. Um, so the late Jerry Falwell, I'm sure this will shock you, is actually the one who started these. So No shit. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So, one more thing to add onto that man's uh, shit belt. list. I know. So uh, the late Jerry Falwell, Baptist Baptist televangelist and founder of Liberty, he's credited with hosting the first Hell House or what he called it the Judgment House in 1972. Wow, really? So this goes kind of far back. Yeah. It's interesting because I mentioned to my parents, you know, leading up to this, that we were, you know, they always like to ask what we're doing on the show. Mm -hmm. And uh, I said, oh, we're prepping for Hell Houses. And they went, wait, what? (laughs) <laughs> that was when we were kids. That's not your generation. And I thought that's interesting because I specifically remember like it being a thing that like happened out in the world, you know, not really attending one. But um, so that's interesting that it had happened all the way back in, would you say, 71? 72. Yeah. Oh, and wow. It was uh, my research actually brought two surprises related to timelines. The first is that it's so old and the second that it's still happening. I think I actually thought that it was kind of purely isolated to like the 90s and early 2000s. And that's not the case. So started in 1972. He called it Scare Mayor, S-C-A-R-E-M-A-R-E, almost like nightmare, but scare mayor. Uh, (laughs) It's still going on every single year at Liberty University during Halloween time. We will talk about that later. So just shelf that for now. He starts the idea of the Christian haunted house and it it attempts to scare people with the question, one question, where do you go when you die? And the idea spreads. So this idea spreads and it's picked up by a pastor, Keenan Roberts, who he then he calls it hell house in the 90s. So one thing that I kind of had a hard time, it it took me a while to like kind of disentangle all this in my research. I kept thinking there was just Hell House and Hell House is like this one thing. Hell House is more like a genre, right, of like the haunted Christian house attraction that it like it's like a brand, Mm. but it has it's, it has all kinds of different names. So it's been called Scaremare. It's been called The Walking Dead, which that's weird. It's been called Hell House. It's been called Judgment House. It's been called Hallelujah Houses. But it's all basically the same thing. But it has like kind of different names and semi-different scripts and has had different levels of popularity in different parts of the country, but mm-hmm. seems to be most popular in places like Virginia, Colorado, New Mexico, and Texas. Although not isolated to this denomination, um, it's a Protestant phenomenon. It is most common in Pentecostal and Assemblies of God churches, mm-hmm. um, which was interesting to me because when my church, when my Pentecostal church as a child, when they did this, it actually reaped some critique from other churches in my area who were like, this is not the most effective witnessing tool. Like this is going to either scare people away from Christianity or it's going to confirm stereotypes about the hatefulness and higher fire and brimstone nature of Christianity. So there has always been a kind of controversy that surrounds the hell house model. The controversy from what I can see often falls along the lines of like the more charismatic churches versus the more traditional churches. And that kind of tracks with our understanding of of other evangelical phenomenon, right? Where, you know, the charismatic folks are more likely to be fire and brimstone, to be more likely to be in your face, to more likely take the hyperbolic position one Mm -hmm. way or another. You see like the use of chick tracts more often in charismatic circles. Mm-hmm. You know, you see a lot of the like really intense pure flick stuff is all coming from charismatic creators and things like that. So it does track with other types of media. It does. Yeah. And putting aside the is it an effective witnessing tool or not? And that controversy, another controversy that seemed to pop up was some of the more traditional churches 
or I shouldn't even say traditional, some of the more conservative denominations, like say Mennonites, right? Like in my area, took issue with the reenactment of these like very worldly scenarios and them saying at the end of the day, you know, you're still supposed to be not of the world and even meddling in this stuff is troubling, right? So it's like on one hand, I feel like we're in this scenario so often where it's like, you're, I'm with you, but I don't know. That's not the reason why. Again, it's like, <laughs> you're right, but you're wrong about how you got here. Exactly. Like, exactly. I think, I think that's so funny. And it is, I remember controversies like this. I remember like a very brief blip of a conversation around like Lord of the Rings and the Passion of the Christ, or it was like, oh, you mm. know, sure, there's Christian underpinnings or the Christian message, but do we have to be so graphic about it? Or mm-hmm. like, you know, some some movies that like showed villains who used actual curse words. I'm putting in scare quotes. Why would you expose us? To that? Why would you make the, you know, guys because well, they're villains and you have to. Uh, yep. But it's really interesting to see that kind of rhetoric being used in other places as well. Yeah. And you can see how that would come up with like, especially the most conservative communities just in relation to like a Halloween themed event at all. Like, yeah. you know, all you're supposed to do is ignore Halloween. You're not even supposed to engage the idea. You know, your mm-hmm. task as a Christian is not to set up an alternative. It's to reject it completely. On on the grounds, right? You just right. reject it yeah. on the grounds or you like, oh, people are like <laughs> you do like uh, <laughs> my, my grandfather did. Oh, there's people coming to my door. I'm going to give them candy and a chick track. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. So, yeah, I just bring all that up in order to say that this was not like a universal Christian phenomenon. Um, It wasn't even universal among Protestants. There was some controversy. And it does seem that like the more radical denominations were the ones who gravitated towards this. Our home church is, you know, being the primary examples. most common in Pentecostal and Assembly of God churches, they have different forms and formats. So some are traveling pop-up programs that like visit places like in a bus that then sets up. (laughs) Others are ones that are rooted in one place, typically in a church. And the church has to buy the script and the materials to put on the performance. They'll often do it in like a large tent outside the church or even transform the church itself. So in my experience, actually, My church was relatively large for like a small, for I think like a rural church. And what we did was actually transform an entire hallway into the Hell House performance. So there were like three or four classrooms on either side of a hallway. And we walked people through each room. And then I believe we led them around back outside the church and then back all the way around and ended in the sanctuary. So that was also a that was a kind of popular model was that you sort of transform the whole church for that week into almost like a VBS, but darker. Yeah, I was just going to say a lot of the the mechanisms that you're describing remind me of like vacation Bible school curriculum or like that, that or even Sunday school curriculum. VBS kept coming to my mind as I read this because it really does remind me so much. It's like the entire church kind of rallies around this. It's about a week or two long. The whole goal is to get people from the outside to come in. The whole church like physically is sort of transformed. Um, Actually, we should do a VBS episode now that I'm like talking about this. Yeah, that would be interesting. I definitely (laughs) attended many VBSs and volunteer at many VBSs. Same. Yeah. Same. So anyway, th- those are some of the examples, the in the church, the pop ups. Um, occasionally, even churches will rent out like a section of a mall or like a large building, almost like a spirit Halloween store type of situation where they just like rent it out. Wow. But um, that's less common. So clearly the hell houses, they differ slightly in format and structure, but these are a few things they have in common. They're put on around Halloween time and they're often framed as alternatives to real haunted houses. So rather than going to, you know, your typical haunted house, you would go to Hell House. They feature a series of different social situations or like social problems, including but not limited to someone dying from AIDS, someone getting an abortion, Um. a a school shooting, suicide and a car crash. Holy shit. Yeah, probably should have gave a trigger warning. So they reenact these scenes in about 10 minutes per scenario. So the typical Hell House script is that you have a different kind of room or section where you're 
immersed in this scene of a social problem and you go from one to the next before then you arrive in hell and then at the very end are offered heaven. So they're offered to everyone, but they seem particularly geared toward teenagers. Mm -hmm. They'll often do like very popularized, relevant topics that the church perceives to be like struggles facing teenagers of the time. So for Mm -hmm. our era, right in the 1990s, they did Columbine. They literally reenacted Columbine. Yeah, (laughs) I know. What the fuck? (laughs) I know. I know. It's really troubling. Um, They also in light of what they viewed as the dangers of Harry Potter, they have teen, they have a skit where they have like teens getting involved in quote, the dark arts and becoming Satanists. But it starts with them just liking Harry Potter and playing the magic card game. Your magic. Your oh game. no. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so <laughs> I will actually say that there is a documentary called Hell House. It's on Amazon. And it follows a church as they produce Hell House. So from beginning to end, from like the auditions of who's going to be who in, in the performance all the way through putting it on. And I was sitting there like, oh, my God, Nick has to watch this because there's like this entire 40 to 50 second thing where the man is trying to explain to the woman who's writing the script what magic is. And she keeps being like the magic card game. And he's like, no, it's just called magic. So it's like magic. And he's like, no, it's called magic. And it's like this long drawn out conversation. It's so funny. Oh my funny. God. It's just a stupid, like who's on first routine, but <laughs> exactly. where people don't get there doing a bit. You know? Oh my God. That's so funny. And they don't know it, but they're like, they're like telling us so much just through that conversation anyway. Well, so right, like, okay, I, I, won't, <laughs> I won't turn this into a tangent. I promise. But like, okay. I, I, <laughs> I love how much you just don't believe me at this point when I say I won't turn something into a tangent. Um, no, but like I like I remember just being very young and seeing a kid like I don't remember if it was like at a park or a party or something like that who had magic cards in it like gave me a visceral reaction like I was afraid because the language of the people around me were like oh no this is something that could put your soul in danger. Mm-hmm. That's I it. Know. I promised it wouldn't be a tangent. Just an anecdote. That was great. That was so succinct. Um, okay. so. <laughs> But I mean, think about this and I doubt I need to even say it, but think about the absurdity of the fact that they're doing like a skit about kids reading Harry Potter and playing magic alongside a school shooting and a suicide. Like, oh, my God. One of these things doesn't belong. Right. Right. And and even taking it out further. Right. The thing I noticed about, though, that sequence is like there's a social situation where like, oh, my friends are doing this thing. And Mm -hmm. I could either join in and be able to have some common language or fun with them. Then there's a school shooting, something Mm -hmm. that objectively happens to people. Yes, yes. And then we take it to like AIDS. Right. Which is like just a medical condition that happens to people and is demonized by the media. I agree with you. Of course, in the context of Hell House, the folks who are dying from AIDS are gay men. Well, of course they are. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's just matter of fact. We're talking about the church perception of AIDS. Yeah. Right. In the 90s. Yeah. So but you raise a good point in that there is this kind of odd mix of like events that feel like, okay, these are things that like people obviously in the church's eyes are doing wrong and are sinful, right? Like there's people at a rave doing drugs, like you have made a wrong choice or, you know, you had alcohol and then you got into a car accident. That was your quote choice, end quote. But then they throw in these odd, like just spontaneous tragedies that are more things that just have happened to people. And I think that's to kind of supplement the, um, you know, the narrative of like, but I'm a good person, right? Mm -hmm. So the idea here is that like, even if you are a good person, you still live in this dark world where horrible things can happen to you. And if you don't know the Lord, you're still destined for hell. So they cover all their bases in that way. And I don't want to steal your thunder. So if this comes later, I'll cut it. But like that one TikTok that you sent me about Hell House, like the skit that we saw was a to teenage girl that went to a rave and was raped mm-hmm. and then kills herself. Right. And the whole bit, I hate calling it that, is that she goes to hell because of those things. Correct. 
Yes. Yeah. I, I don't, I can't begin to wrap my head around how cruel that is on every level. Another added level of cruelty. Did you catch in that clip that I sent you that the demon that's hovering over her makes a reference to her also being sexually abused by her father? Did you catch that? I didn't that? catch that. No. Yeah. He says something like, just like what your father did to you or something along those lines. Jesus. And so it's very peculiar. It's like you have just set up this scenario where it's like horrible things have happened to a seemingly innocent person. And then when they resort to suicide because of clinical depression, you're then dragging them off to hell. It It is utterly heartless at points, like heartless. truly heartless, truly yeah. heartless. And this yeah. is one of those things, because I know there's a there was a lot of rhetoric when we were growing up about how like horror and like Halloween is the veneration of the cruel and the sadistic. Mm. And the church's responsibility was to push back against that. <laughs> right. Right. But then here we are with like, that's more traumatizing than most horror movies that yes. I've seen. Yes. <laughs> like that will give me nightmares tonight. That's going to keep me up. And it pains me down to my core to hear that kind of stuff. And it it also is very fascinating to me to see how much weight is put on the idea of personal choice, mm -hmm. even in these tragedy scenarios, these trauma scenarios. Mm -hmm. You know, it's the like the close out of that TikTok was even the guy like who did the hell house trying to justify yep. the 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 scene because oh, well, you know, it's the choices that you made regardless. We're not saying that's a good thing. We're not saying that's because of anything, but they made choices and that led to these inevitable things. So like, even when bad things happen, you have to make the right choices. But the right choices don't matter if you didn't make the only right choice. It becomes this weird mm -hmm. cycle. Yep, yep. It's a very, it's a very odd mixture of, of events. And they have like purposefully chosen the ones that feel the most, I mean, it's just so gratuitous at points. Yeah. And word. even just thinking about us as like horror fans and how one of the things that people who love horror often say is that it allows you to entertain the scary in a controlled environment, right? And it allows you to kind of suspend your disbelief, it allows you to engage with things that aren't real. And what makes it safe is that at the end and all the way through, you still know it's not real. Mm -hmm. And so if you think about it, like Hell House is actually so fucking terrifying because they do this to you. They expose you to these horrible things. And the premise is the major point here is that it's all real. <laughs> like <Right. so laughs> there's no relief. Like you never get the, oh, but it's yeah. just a movie. you know, like yeah. when people leave haunted houses and the parents say to the kids, okay, but there's no such thing as a haunted mm. house. You don't get that relief at a hell house. No, you don't. It, the I love that you you pointed out the distance that it gives us and the control that it gives us over anxieties and fears that we have in the real world it's that just like moment of catharsis but the goal of the hell house seems to again like you said be the inverse of that to remove the gap between your anxieties and reality yep I, which yep again like from a literary perspective you've done horror wrong right <laughs> right <laughs> but from a like human perspective You've gone away from the premise of faith giving you hope or your religion giving you a way out of things. I understand that the end game is like, but there is a way, you know, mm -hmm. but you also have to buy in every step of the way to mm -hmm. this is real. That's why the end is real. This is real. That's why the end is real. Mm -hmm. Like, and by doing that, oh my gosh, you just. We've said this a number of times, right? Like you, you populate the world for these teenagers mm -hmm. with cosmic insecurities and anxieties and fears that are inescapable and uncontrollable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 
the documentary I mentioned called Hell House is very interesting to watch because you don't just get the performance, which was some of the clips I sent you, but you actually get the behind the scenes process of the production. And even just seeing these teens like prepare for these roles to reenact these these scenes is very alarming. Like mm. the there's this one moment where this girl goes running up to the bulletin board to see what part she got in like this very like legally blonde-esque, like when she goes <laughs> up to see if she got it, you know, um, and she like starts clapping and she's like, I got the abortion girl. I got the abortion girl. And you're like just watching this like, this is real. Oh, my God, this is real. Like, and you see them trying out for these like different roles of the abortion, the suicide. And you see these teens reenacting these like really traumatizing events in people's lives. And then one of the girls in the documentary starts saying that she played the role of the girl who was raped, but she was actually raped in real life. And so she's like, that was a very hard experience for me. And it's like, it's just, I told you behind the scenes that actually of everything we've prepared for this podcast, that documentary was actually the hardest for me to watch because it just immerses you in like this early 2000s Christian culture, like just the daily little interactions and weirdness. I There's so much I could say, and I don't want to go off track, but ooh, just for a moment of transparency, it was hard. It was yeah. hard to watch. Yeah. I appreciate the moment of transparency. And, and I think it's actually, it's important for us to talk about this. You know, one of the things that uh, that I love about the work that we do on the podcast, that that I love about approaching deconstruction and and critique this way is that it allows us to have that air gap mm-hmm. is that it allows us to kind of look back and and look away from ourselves and go oh my gosh that's what i came out of or that's what i avoided or like oh i didn't realize th- that kind of thing mm-hmm. but i've and i've heard this from from friends who listen and and, I, and you and i have talked about this a little the reason it's worth talking about these things at all is because of that very real, very visceral human pain mm-hmm. that is constructed. Not the pain is constructed, but the scenario for the pain mm-hmm. is set up to be inevitable. Right. You know, everybody's gone through the, you know, everybody who's ever tried out for a play goes through the experience of like feeling that kind of thing. You know, the what part did I get? And and everybody who's consistently performed, you know, may have had that moment where like, oh, I have to perform this thing that I went through. Like, okay, fine. That that can happen outside the church. But inside the church, you have the necessity for that narrative to be performed semi-regularly. Yeah. You have an environment that's not willing to listen to people and suppresses people who want to talk about those experiences and those pains. And again, like we've said on other episodes of an environment that fosters that to be more likely to happen. Mm -hmm. So now you've got this, and that's just three (laughs) sets of intersecting things that are compounding Mm -hmm. the likelihood of someone having to not only go through pain, but to have that pain broadcast to have that pain amplified yeah and i would say a fourth thing that is huge in the scenario of hell house is that you are being asked these 15 year olds 16 year olds are being asked to reenact these highly traumatic situations for the sake of making sure that their friends don't burn in hell so going back to your notion of you know the cosmic consequences right i don't know i think maybe just watching it it brought me back to the pressure of all Mm. of that, the pressure to engage in this like deeply emotional, difficult stuff. So at such a young, immature stage of life in the service of such huge things. Yeah. So anyway, the, so it brings you through, just going back to the format of, of a typical tell house, it takes you through all these different social scenarios, most of them very relevant to youth. They then have a health heaven section and a health section the heaven section ends with the gospel message. The ultimate goal then of Hell House, I mean, I probably don't even need to say it, but it's to lead people to Christ. So after the final heaven scene, they offer the salvation prayer. Presumably then if you say that prayer, you're hooked up with the church. You make contact with, you know, some leaders. I have a memory of 
it ending in the sanctuary at my church. And they would do the salvation message that was basically like, hey, if you don't want to like be in hell one day and have and also be like in the midst in the, you know, experience all these horrible things that you just saw, you can say this prayer. And then I kind of remember like people going around and like connecting with people. And then a lot of those people them being asked to return on Sunday morning for church. And like, then, you know, the ball just gets rolling. Right. The first one's free, ladies and gentlemen, and then <laughs> right. lost 10% moving forward. Right. <laughs> exactly. It reminds me of an exhibit that they had in New York, like about 10 years ago or something like that. And it was on the anniversary of um, the, like the Titanic sinking the centennial for that. They had oh. this whole big thing. And what you would do is you'd go in and they had like exhibits and artifacts and like you know, scenes from the movie playing and all this shit. And at the beginning of the the thing, they gave you a like card, like like a passport. And it had like information about a, an actual passenger okay. on the Titanic. And when you got to the end, you like scanned your passport and it told you whether or not the like person that you were survived Lived. at the end of the Titanic or not. Okay. Uh, this just reminds me of that. Like, I just, it's so like, are you, are you a member of our church? Cause you're going to survive if not. And if not, well, you know, that really uncomfortable room that we piped in all the heat and humidity to and <laughs> our children to stand in dark cloaks, you know, that's for you. In a very oblivious 1990s rural Christian culture, um, I have a, a vivid memory of our pastor playing Christ and then these like women in very tight black clothes like whipping him anyway there's a lot to unpack there but um, there's so much to unpack you may be wondering Nick is Hell House still offered and yes it is it's something that it's not Teddy please please there's so little I have in this world don't tell me this is still happening It's still happening. It's still something that is offered each year around Halloween time across the country. I will say it is not as common as in the 1990s. So lucky us, lucky us, we were yet again children and teens during a time when Christianity was just at its most fucking nuts. (laughs) (laughs) That's my most sophisticated way of saying that. Um, It was so big in the 90s, but it is still around. It's still it's still happening. And I thought it might be fun to look at two prominent examples that are happening right now in 2023. We're in October. It's spooky time, right? We'll look at one from the perspective of a church who wants to offer it and one as more of an audience member who like hypothetically wants to attend. Okay. Okay. So we're going to take on the role of church looking to put it on and then we're going to take on the role of being a participant. You got it. Yep. So let's start with a church that's wanting to put it on. So let's say that you're Pastor Nick and you actually got your degree in being a pastor, whatever that degree is called. And now you are a pastor and you want to put on Hell House. Um, You can buy the Hell House package from the New Destiny Christian Center, which is a Colorado based evangelical ministry. And it's kind of the most popular specialist in the program. They sell the program for other churches to put on. I did a lot of research and got some prices from their website. The basic kit goes for $300, not including tax. But the church then also offers plug-in modules, which is just so funny as like educate, like all I see when I see modules is like Canvas things, allowing a particular hell house to address specific sins in your own community. So that's good. Yeah. I need to know what, what the rural Pennsylvanians are doing. So if you were like, you know what? opioids just not our thing in this Mm -hmm. neck of the woods but premarital sex that's raging you could substitute a module like for a sin of your choice oh so i get like kind of a um a la carte sin the road to hell is paved with a la carte options there's that's just so true i would love that on a bumper sticker um so i provided a screenshot of the order form where you can place an order for the program could you just read through and kind of summarize what you see for the audience? It's hilarious. I, oh, my God. Very basic order form, you know, little check boxes. You have the, uh-huh. the large description, the standard cost, and then you have a bunch of things that you can add on. Mm-hmm. 
I don't know where to start <laughs> because each of these, like I would expect some of it, right? Like there are the simpler ones, like the date rape scene package, the post birth abortion scene package, right. uh, the sex scene package. I feel like you have to order those in a particular space to get mm-hmm. that right. Yeah, and hopefully, the hopefully it's discreet. Package. It's discreet packaging. I hope you know. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> but then there are ones that I just don't understand. Yep. Okay. I don't understand this one. Cyber chick multimedia scene. Package. Okay. My I don't my know. speculation is, like, is yeah, am I putting too many things together? Is this like? porn or is this online dating okay i'm not entirely sure i think because i so keep in mind again hell house is a genre right but all churches and programs do it differently in my research i found two different kind of like computer type stuff computer type (laughs) online type stuff come up the first is like people finding people online to have affairs with Okay. And in fact, the documentary that I watched, it kind of follows this like woman or it doesn't follow the woman. It follows the man whose white ex-wife met someone online and had an affair with them. So that's the possibility. The second possibility. Does he though, run one of the hell houses? He does. And he thinks the Internet was the problem in that scenario. <laughs> he thinks his wife found this man on the Internet, allegedly. R- right. Yeah. But I mean, regardless of how she found him. Right. I, I, I don't blame her for looking is all I'm saying. Yeah, she did leave like four children. So but anyway, okay, that's, that's a problem. That's, but that's still. a whole subplot of that of the documentary. That's kind of weird, Um, because as we know, similar to God's Not Dead, it, you can't just have one horrible thing happening. In no, a no, you need, you need like, a network of horrible. Things. You need a network of horror. Yes. Um, And then the second thing is what you said, like some kind of porn thing or mm-hmm. like um girl in like a chat room you know cam girl type of situation gotcha, um, gotcha. this program is this performance is copyrighted and there is they are kind of strict about like how much is allowed to be posted online well yeah because you they, can't do that just post it online and then your script's out and you can't sell it anymore yes yeah, so they don't i notice there's no greed on this list greed yeah no there's nothing ever boring it's all just the super like salacious stuff mm. yeah Right. Yeah. Such as, and this is my next question. This <clears throat> yeah, is the other one that really got me. Mm-hmm. The gay slash lesbian suicide scene package. Oh my goodness. We don't even like it's very specific that we went to like queer like I'm all for like, you know, queering things, but did we have to queer <laughs> specifically suicide? Yeah. And how funny that there's like you could add if so let's say that you were someone who like really felt like gay stuff was a problem in your neighborhood or your community. You could add the gay wedding scene package. Well, that was going to be the next the wedding scene. (laughs) The fact that it's just like we're going to a wedding. And then you could follow it up with the suicide. Oh, okay, Right. 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 Oh, okay. So you start with the party scene i think or the no no here, so here's the here's the way i'd organize this hell house you start with the party scene mm-hmm. then you start with the sex scene and this is going to be just normal heterosexual teenage bumping uglies sure then our main character finds out that's not that's not his bag so then we get the cyber chick multimedia package, which is going to be geared towards either some sort of fetish porn or just straight gay porn. Mm-hmm. Through that, he meets somebody in a porn chat group. Got it. They get married. They get gay married specifically. Mm-hmm. And then we have the gay lesbian suicide scene package. That's how we end that. That's it's, it's a tragedy in four acts is what we get. Dude, your guess is as good as mine. I don't know. But I think you're on to something with the party because if there's one thing Hell House wants to do, it's to deconstruct. And I'm sorry to use such a sophisticated term for this atrocity, but they want to deconstruct the notion of worldly fun. So a lot of thing goes back. A lot of this goes back to the idea that like even the things you think are innocent could result in utter catastrophe, right? So yeah. the rave ends up in the rape and the gay marriage ends up in AIDS and the blah, 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 blah. You know, it can never, like basically they're trying to, again, right. they're trying to cover all their bases. 
that there is no there is no gray area. There is no nuance here. You can't be a good person and still do these things because it will all end in disaster. Everything is a slippery slope. Everything, Everything will inevitably end in death. Or you will have sex and get pregnant and die like right. in, in Mean Girls, yeah. right? It's right. very much that. And they really make sure to emphasize that even if you escape your earthly punishment, mm-hmm. you will still end up in hell, right? Oh, so yeah. um, what I love, too, about this order sheet is that you could just get the Hell House how-to kit, but then you wouldn't have all of these cool individual scene packages, Right. So these are all like ready-made scripts and set dressing design and all Correct. that kind of stuff. Correct. Whereas the how-to is just, well, here's the like basic structure we use and you build your own scenes inside of it. We wouldn't be able to see what the mother's womb abortion scene and heavily resurrection scene. What the heck? Package. That's two scenes in one. That's a deal. Oh, my God, Nick, the um, again, we probably should have given a trigger trigger warning, but the abortion scenes in the Hell House are awful. I can't imagine them being. And I remember even at my church, they had like blood, like red paint all over the walls from like just blood, presumably splashing across the room onto the walls, like giving birth to an alien. (laughs) It's just like it's so it's so awful. Basically, moral of the story here is that if you were someone, you know, who wanted to put on this Hell House thing, you could um, get your Hell House how-to kit, which includes a production kit manual, DVD of the production, special effects, compact disc soundtrack, and then you could add your gay, lesbian, suicide scene. Um, I also wish I understood what fourth Hell scene package means. Well, it's the gatekeeper edition, Teddy. It's like a limited, it's like getting a shiny magic limited edition special one. Yeah, exactly. Does this stuff come, is this just all curriculum and scripts or does it come with like set decoration stuff too? I don't know. One of the clips that you sent me had like somebody in like a hospital bed with like a fake IV set up. And I'm like, somebody had to have connections for that shit. Yeah, my church went all out and I I wish I could go back and like remember where they got the stuff from. We also had a hospital bed. We had a fake IV thing. Um, We had for the car crash, like an actual car that was had been like damaged in some way that we like put out on the lawn. And I don't know, I I have to confirm with some of my other, you know, ex-fundy friends, but I'm almost certain that one of the women who was in the abortion scene actually was a nurse and got some of the equipment for us for that scene. So I guess to answer your question, I don't think that this $300 package comes with all of that. Like I think to some degree, the church is yeah. Finding it. I did notice that all of the demons like all look the same. So I don't know if there's a couple core costumes that are all the same. Um, Demons and all the things that you showed me were just like a, like a Holocaust cloak and and a skull mask, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Very. Yeah. There's too much to say. (laughs) I I find it interesting also that like all of these again are like that they're very like focused on the sin and the road to hell and the hell scenes. There's one option for an extra heaven scene. Mm -hmm. But again, we're like de-emphasizing that heaven is the escape room. Right. Right. Or the way out of this weird. Oh, my God. I hope they haven't gotten their hands on escape rooms. Have they? (laughs) Not that I know of. Oh, my God. Yeah. I feel like I could ace those escape rooms, though, if they actually did. I'd know exactly how to get out of those. Yeah, that would almost have to be a field trip for us, I Mm -hmm. think. Well, I feel like we have to go to one of these at some point this month and then just like heckle them the whole way through. That'd be so fun. Yeah. Honestly, let's talk about that off air because, <laughs> yeah, that's that sounds so fun. In the documentary, there's a couple teens who mm-hmm. like stick around after the Hell House and kind of argue with the pastors and they're teenagers. So their points are not, you know, particularly sophisticated. But I thought, oh, man, that would be so fun to like argue with them as people who were in this. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, because what are they going to tell me? I don't know my Bible. Right. <laughs> like you know (laughs) that always gets me well you just didn't you just didn't study your bible hard enough really Mm, really no let's have a conversation about that 
think I always say I think the problem is I studied it too much, actually. <laughs> the pipe the pipeline from over anxious nerd in the church right. to deconstructed, disaffected us <laughs> yeah. is such a straight line. Yeah. One of those um super, you know, um strict atheists. I can't remember who it is now. He said something along the lines of like the road to atheism is like a uh, littered with well-read Bibles or something. Mm, yeah, lines. that sounds yeah. like a Hitchens thing or one. It of the does. Yeah, guys. I didn't want to like credit it, to, but it's one of the dudes, you know, yeah. one of the white atheist dudes who like, you know, you don't always like, but they're often not wrong. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. So the second one we're going to look at is from the perspective of someone who might actually attend a hell house. So if you and I were in Virginia and we're like, you know what we want to do on a Friday night is go see Liberty University's hell house. This is what we would. uh, Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Okay. So there's a really big and real. The one I'm going to talk about is it's really big and really popular one called Scaremare. It's offered through Liberty University. About 4,000 people attend per night. Per night? Per night. Yep. Wow. Yep. I had to read that a couple times. I was like, in some? No, 4,000 a night. Um, so Nick, could you just click the link that I have provided? It's Scaremare's like official site through Liberty University website. And just kind of talk about what you see. Uh, landing page just looks kind of like one of those semi-low budget, like local haunted house, local like, you know. Fright Fest style websites, a lot of black, a lot of red. Mm-hmm. Um, we get to their about page. I'll read their mission here. Scaremare presents fun house rooms and scenes of death <laughs> in order to confront people with the question, what happens after I die? Groups of people experience a 40 minute journey passing through creepy trails, dark woods, no Oxford comma, and eventually entering the house. At the end of the experience, visitors are presented with an answer to this question and given the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. Spoilers. <laughs> Approximately 26,000 people have made decisions for Christ over the past two decades. Ironically, this house of death points to the way of life. Ironically, you said it's your stated goal. I know. I loved that use of that word. Ironically. What I find interesting about this is something that I've seen come up in a lot of conversations about Hell House, which is that they're relatively transparent in what they're going to do. Mm. So I'm trying to understand. So I guess what I'm saying is that they're not at least like on their websites trying to pass themselves off as like a who knows what you're going to get. It's just a haunted house. Surprise. It's a Christian thing. Like the website directly is like lots of people have. Um, you're what's wrong? Your eyes. You look so scared. Sorry. Uh, there's a what's video happening? that started automatically playing underneath <laughs> the description. And it's I, I know it's spooky. <laughs> it's a clown Claire carrying a meat cleaver and someone with a pig mask carrying a machete. Yeah. How do you get from there to Jesus? I don't know. We have to go, Nick. We have to go visit next year. Next October. We're going. I feel like it could be a day trip. I know. I don't understand either. But sorry, so, I apologize then, for interrupting you with my eyes. No, you just looked so horrified. Um, I so hate clowns, Fucking <laughs> clowns so much. So I guess I don't know what I'm interested in is the kind of transparency surrounding the fact that it's a, for a lack of better words, Christian thing. Like immediately under that, you have the testimonials and people are like talking about how they were led to Christ. and. It says then like downloads for more information on how to begin your relationship with Christ. Download my first steps. So I don't know. What do you make of this? I, I can't remember, to be fair, how transparent Hell House like for my church was, like how honest we were with folks. But it is offered at a church. So on some level, there's not like a tricker, trickery. <laughs> there's not, you know, they're not trying to trick anyone. Do you think that they lure people in just with a kind of like sick curiosity or what do you think is going on here? What do you make of this? Yeah, I think it's a really great question. And it it's the springboard of one of the main critiques that I have about a lot of these sort of uh, proselytization techniques that the church had at mm. the time. Yeah, it's still something they do. There's a weird it's kind of like the crossover band effect, right? Like 
oh, we're going to be out in the world doing normal music, secular music, but it's really going to be Jesus music. So you get your friends to listen to our not Jesus songs. That'll mm. make them listen to our Jesus songs. Yeah. And that'll eventually get them to Jesus. Right. It feels very similar to that, right? Like you tell your friend who likes haunted houses, who likes horror movies, oh, my church is doing one, you know, and eventually you can lure them in and then give them. No one's fooled. It's not mm-hmm. trying to incognito Jesus. Yeah, it's just it's a good phrase. Yeah, yeah. it's just there. And and so like it's it, they're trying to do the crossover thing, I think, on one level. But the other side of this is most of these proselytization tactics mm-hmm. are not actually designed to proselytize. Mm. They're designed to they're, they're designed for Christians. One of my favorite like critiques of like the christian music industry as a whole i'm sorry not music christian movie industry as a whole Uh is no one's gonna stumble into god's not dead as an atheist Mm -hmm. watch that movie be convinced that they're not actually an atheist and then that they need jesus Mm -hmm. but what it is going to do is let a bunch of christians who feel compelled to share their faith or that there is like to validate these anti-intellectual fears, to validate the decisions and things that they believe. It's not actually meant to to, to convert, mm-hmm. right? Just like when we talked about Lee Strobel, right? It's not actually designed, like it's presented as here's evidence that you can convince people with. Yeah. But it's not actually designed to convince other people. It's mm-hmm. designed to give you the status, you the Christian the satisfaction that you believe something logical and provable. Mm -hmm. And so I think these hell house type experiences are less about converting people, regardless of what they actually think, Mm -hmm. and are more about, hey, you're afraid of all these things, your teenagers getting into these things, your yourselves. um, But there's a way you believe there's a way out. We just want to validate that there's that like salve to your fears. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of meant to like, play into the fears that Christians normally would have Mm. and validate their perception of the world more so than proselytize. That 26,000 people have converted on Scaremare's thing is dubious at best. Yeah, yeah, at best. I was thinking also, and I don't know, maybe this is a stretch, but I was thinking, you know, like thinking sociologically about like kind of bias sampling. Like I'm wondering, like, is there something in particular about the type of person who goes to this thing? Like, are they already kind of interested? Have they maybe are they people who have left the church and that number is inflated with people who have returned to Christ or who have backslidden? Right. You know, there's so many things that are probably going on there. A lot of these places, a lot of these hell houses are already in like very conservative areas. So, you know, maybe people are already more sympathetic to like the Christian message. I don't know. I just how many of them were nervous kids like us who were already Christians went through this experience, got scared shitless. And then they're yes. like, hey, are you sure you love Jesus? Sign this card and put it in the slot. And we, of yes. course, did because we needed to tell Jesus again that we accepted him or else he you know, might not think like excellent. Point. There's yeah. so many. How many people were going through this for a laugh? Right. We're going yes. through this satirically and wrote yeah. things down as just part of the bit. Like mm-hmm. and again, it's self-reported. So self-reported stuff is always distorted. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it just, it's very interesting that like you have no way to prove this thing that you're claiming, but beyond the like need for proof, do you actually think you're measuring the thing you're measuring? Yeah. This is a thing we've run into a million times on this podcast, all the way back to some of our opening episodes when we would have people like Rebecca St. James or whoever being like, I had this conversation with this person. Right. And me and you, we both do the same thing every time. Okay, maybe. Sure. Who's to say? Right. It's just like, you know, Christians love to do this kind of thing. I'm sure most religions do because it's really all they have is like these kind of personal testimonies. I'm sure. I mean, a lot of people do this kind of <laughs> so, anecdotal thing, yeah. right? There's a whole like bit in sitcoms and TV, right? Where like, I have this friend who's going through this and it's me, right? I'm going. Through yeah, this. yeah, yeah. Like everybody does that kind of thing. You're just more likely to do it 
in a religious setting, I think, again, this mm-hmm. is just a hypothesis, this isn't, you know, provable, really. I think, I think you're so. more likely yeah. to do it because you, again, have this burden of proving something mm-hmm. or this burden of having a decent testimony. I do think that the church genuinely believes that this is a very effective witnessing tool. And I think they do see it that way. I also think going back to what you gesture to this idea that it's more for them than for others is true, even in thinking about the way that it's kind of ritualistic. It's a bonding experience. There's like it's very trauma porny, which in general just kind of like brings people together in this like weird emotional way. It's kind of like oddly cathartic, like watching even the documentary, like this is like weeks in the making, right? So it's like a very communal bonding experience for the church. I remember even like feeling like there was a lot of energy in my church at the time, like when we were decorating and getting everything ready, you know, people want to believe that they're doing something, <laughs> you know, <laughs> right? Well, like, and, and just so. like you said, the 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 very foundational uh, human need for community, right? To do something as a, that, that doesn't happen very much outside the church in the same way right Mm -hmm. the idea that you're like you said doing something of grand importance with all of your friends something that's validating your worldview something Mm -hmm. that is like giving you a chance to perform that is on some level even indulge in like the moment where you can pretend to be partying for two seconds you know like there's a lot of that going on too and like it's also just fun to scare people. Yeah. <laughs> like, and to be scared. And to be yeah. scared together, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. How much of like the horror movie thing is just being with somebody, mm-hmm. you know, and feeling something intensely next to somebody. With, yeah. You know, like that's yeah. all good and fun. And there's nothing wrong with a ha- good haunted house. Or like the sick feeling of being the one who's already seen the horror movie and watching it with a friend who hasn't. Like occasionally I watch with like my best friend, I'll bring like over a horror movie and like I will be genuinely excited to see like her expressions and reactions to like a really terrifying scene. Like I know that seems kind of sadistic, but no. so so last last Halloween, my brother and his wife came over to visit and they were like, we want to watch a scary movie. Well, my my sister-in-law was. My brother hates scary movies. I kind of just didn't even watch the movie. I just turned around on and watched them watch it. I got a twisted delight from it. Yeah, it's yeah. kind of fun. So is that all that this is really, right? Is like the Christian version of that, like yeah. getting to watch other but people. But I mean, there's nothing like, there. sure. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And I also think there's like, um, like I think there again, there's nothing wrong with like I'm sharing something terrifying, and now we have mm. this shared experience. Yeah. There is a like corrupted level to it, of course. Yeah, yeah. Which is like, you know, oh, I don't think my friend catches the gravity of hell. Mm-hmm. Now I have the sadistic pleasure of like them realizing their eternal torment. Mm, yeah, which is you know I don't want to bummer the whole thing, but like. It is something that is encouraged by the framework from Hell House. Totally. Totally. Yeah. It's the idea that like, oh, if you have secular friends who are engaging in all this worldly stuff, they haven't actually really deeply thought about where they could end up or they haven't actually deeply thought about all the catastrophe that awaits them. And this will like kind of force them into a room where they're going to have to face it. Right. It's yeah, it's really dark and upsetting. And again, going back to our original conversation about the distinction between normal horror and this kind of horror is that there is no relief. You never get the breaking yeah. point. You never get the sigh of it's just fantasy, though. You know, mm-hmm. you never get that. In fact, the climax is its reality. The fact that yeah. it is reality. So yeah. it's actually very, very disturbing yeah. it's <laughs> yeah. like if you ended a horror movie with like based on a true story and the story is you right right you exactly like, yeah all right yeah you know? and then and that kind of just turns back to like the the kind of farcical way that these moral dilemmas and sins are presented right the the slippery slope the party or rave turns into you know sexual sin or drugs and suicide like mm-hmm. okay that's that that's not what that actually looks like. You're right. you're trying to again. The punchline is the climax is this is real, but you haven't actually presented it as real. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so for people 
again, the disconnect at the end of horror movies is, oh, that's not real. So I can suspend and be afraid because I know it's not supposed to be reflecting reality. But mm-hmm. once you staple it to reality, you then go, OK, but that's not that's not how party works. That's not mm-hmm. how drugs work. That's not how sex. That's not how abortion works. That's not how eat. Like you can just sit there and like fact check things. And it's not then about your experience of the thing or the potential. Mm-hmm. It's just how scary would it be if this happened? Or like, oh, yeah, that is actually terrifying. But the, the answer isn't isn't your religion. It's like giving that person therapy and support and justice. Like, yeah. Yeah. Or like, oh, yeah, that like horrible stuff does happen. People are sexually assaulted and people do get HIV and people do get, you know, date rape. That was another one mm-hmm. um, date raped at a club. And but it's not a direct line from being a bad person to this thing happening. It's actually just freaking chance and horrible stuff happening. And, you know, so it's it's very manipulative. It's really playing on people's emotions because it's drawing on these situations that it's like they're highly unlikely to happen to you, but they could happen to you. A lot of the people in the documentary who they were featuring, like arguing with the pastors afterwards, they were getting like visibly angry and emotional and the one guy keeps going like i'm not gay but like i have a gay friend like i have a gay friend like he's doesn't you know no. and you could tell that there was this like it, you could tell they were being emotionally manipulated and they were like pushing back and the pastor kept saying we're not saying all people who go to a rave will have this happen to them but it does happen you know it just feels yeah. so icky yeah it feels so icky and i want to i want to clarify something and then build off what you said i didn't don't want it to sound like I was being dismissive and like, oh, that that never happens. X never happens. Yeah, you know, I, I know like, trying to go that direction. Um, but I, but I like the way that you articulated it is that the pastor's stupid argument that feels so disgusting is not. Yeah, this thing happens and isn't that terrifying. It's this thing happens because you're going to hell for not loving Jesus. Isn't the hell part terrible? Mm hmm. You're not pointing to the right thing and you're manipulating and using a genuine trauma, a genuine horrific event for, again, ostensibly proselytizing, uh, probably like profit focused, depending on the situation. Like Liberty Mm -hmm. definitely gets a profit, you know, 100 percent. Yeah, I think it was like seven bucks a ticket or something like that. Yeah. Um, And meantime, four thousand a night, they're doing okay. And yeah. I'm sure it's all free student <laughs> labor that put it up. Oh, thank you for bringing that up. Because one thing that I wanted to emphasize was that they have at Liberty, apparently, a mandatory service number of service hours. And one of the things that you can do to get your service hours is work for and participate in Hell House. Mm-hmm. So some of the interviews they had, people were saying like, oh, yeah, I originally just started Hell House for my service program. I forget they have like a catchy name for it. Um, but then I ended up believing in the mission ministry so much. I keep doing it every single year. But it starts with like you're kind of just trying to get college credit. So when I was at Bible College, we had mandatory uh, volunteer work as well. Okay. They claimed they made a lot of claims about it, but basically it was you had to do a certain number of volunteer hours based on wherever you were assigned on campus. And it was supposed to be five hours a week. Okay, it never was. And it's also never like visit a nursing home or pick up trash along the highway. It's always like do something sketchy. (laughs) So we so my two jobs, I had two different jobs. Uh, with my volunteer service, our catchy name was Spice. Mm. Students participating in the campus environment. I figured that had to be an acronym. Okay. Yeah. My Spice work was grounds crew. Your Spice work. Mm-hmm. It was grounds crew. So we would rake the leaves, shovel the snow. Like when we had snowstorms in New England, everyone on grounds crew would get called at 4 a.m. and pulled out of the dorm to shovel and make sure everything was accessible. And just to clarify, you're not shoveling like old or sick people's houses. You're shoveling the, the campus. campus. The Got campus. it. Yeah. So you're paying them tuition and then also doing the snow removal. Well, you know, listen, this is part of being a servant of Christ. Oh, my this God. Is serving your immediate community. And it also helps keep your tuition down. 
We have to talk about Christian colleges on this podcast. Yeah, we do. So we're going to have it's, to deal with this. It's you're like, the, you like audibly sighed. You're like, oh my God. <laughs> but no, we have to. But, but no. So we did that. the other thing that I did was I was a TA. Right. You had to have a certain GPA, but you worked as a TA. So you did like grading. Uh, one of the professors that I worked for, like, had me cataloging his personal library. The work of the Lord, man. Yeah, it's the work, work of the, the Lord. Lord. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, the people who are they're making a profit on this Mm -hmm. and the majority of the people or at least a good chunk of the people who are doing the program are probably students who are there out of obligation. So I'm sure they pay like a director or, you know, whoever like writes this stuff for them. But that's probably like a full time. They have probably like two or three full time people and then Mm -hmm. they have everybody else like free labor. At least the church setting, it feels a little bit more. Like consent is a bit more real in that sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So that is Hell House. We were, this was such a highly requested episode. I hope we did it justice. And I hope you people are satisfied putting us through this. I hope you're all satisfied. It is 40 years worth of events with different names and different places that all kind of have like a different thing going on. But I mean, moral of the story, the biggest takeaway, as we say to our students here, is that Christians do haunted houses and they're freaking weird. <laughs> yeah. And and putting this on our like harm spectrum. I think it's pretty bad. Yeah. I think it's pretty bad. Yeah. I, I would say that the overall end game of this apparatus is just reeking of exploitative representation of stuff Mm -hmm. it's you know diminishing people's experiences and it's like again scaring people into heaven is kind of the phrase that keeps coming to my mind oh yeah absolutely totally scaring them into heaven and through other people and through the retelling of other people's very real traumas and i think that that's i mean when you have depictions of botched abortions and gay folks but dying from a i mean and it's in the it's in a haunted house attraction and it's with the goal of like getting people to say the salvation prayer i would go as far to say that this is one of the most disturbing things we've ever covered and you know me i'm like relatively i try to give things the benefit of the doubt here but it's hard for me because at best i feel like with some of our artifacts i'll go it's just fine. It's not like a huge deal. Like at worst, it's just kind of dumb. But mm-hmm. I feel like this is way worse than just dumb. Yeah. Just on a psychological level, going through a haunted house and seeing a gay person suffering. Yeah. And the moral of the story is they should have made better choices because they're going to yeah. go from this suffering to a later suffering. Right. How then can you walk away if you buy into that because of mm-hmm. that? manipulative propaganda moment how do you then turn around and actually hear the stories of gay folks who suffered Mm -hmm. and have any level of sympathy right how do you have any level of human empathy and connection for other people suffering when this is all coded as an attraction on the road to hell so that's hell house that's hell house (laughs) thanks so much for journeying with us through this terrifying uh, haunted house we hope that this was uh, meaningful and uh, productive for you all here we hope that you would rate and uh, give feedback on the podcast especially this episode one that we know you all wanted to hear and one that we'd love to know did you like this do you like the way we're doing this we handled this did we missed something what's your hell house experience reach out to us on instagram and facebook and uh Give us more suggestions because we would love to find more horrifying things (laughs) to litter the basement of our imaginary church with. I'd also love to just put one more plug for the um, Hell House documentary that I referenced. um, We'll link it in the show notes. Yeah, they uh, they treat the the churchgoers with a lot of, you know, they really grant them their humanity, but at the same time do a great job, like exposing the the troubles of the of the program. So we're glad to hear that. That's awesome. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Talk to you soon.